Hello and welcome to Foothill Christian American Canyon. We're glad you joined us today and we sincerely hope that you're blessed with today's message. This morning I'm going to speak real quickly on this topic and we're going to continue it next week as well. But I've titled this Scandalous Grace. Only just because the word scandalous sounds so good and it, it would get your attention, right? But uh, God's grace is scandalous. It's, it's very good in a good way. And we're going to talk about that. But I want you to get your Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. We're going to start from there in our sermon text. And while you're looking for that chapter 12 of Hebrews, I just want to remind you again, none of us would be here without His grace. God's grace is good. Look at your neighbor again. Tell him His grace is good. And His scandalous grace is even better. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have that chapter, why don't you stand with me as we read the Word of God this morning. We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And again, it says the following. It says, therefore, everybody know this. When it says therefore, it means because of, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out. For us, Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you send, Lord, to encourage, Lord, to deliver, to remind us that you love us. Father, today we pray your blessing upon this word. Bring your anointing, Father, that I could speak the words that you would want me to declare and that we would have ears to hear your word. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Amen. So again, this scripture that I'm going to start off with, with scandalous grace, it really is talking about um, the race. Each one of you have a purpose and a passion um, in your life. If you haven't discovered that, young person, you will. You will discover what that passion and purpose is. But every one of us have a purpose, a God-given purpose. And here, Paul, who wrote this book, is telling us that each of you have an individual race you were to run. Raise your hands if you have any ex, if we have any ex-track stars in here. I know there's one right here. Maybe two. I, I know there's. Raise your hand if you ever ran track. If you ever ran a race against somebody else, somebody. Most of you ran a race against somebody else. Well, the object of that was to finish and to beat the other person. But more importantly, it's it's to stay in your lane when you run track, organized track. You have a lane. That's your designated lane. If you go into the other person's track or lane, you're disqualified because you have no business in that lane. Your business is to stay in this straight lane right here. Uh, I used to run track, and it, it was a, they were sprints, so they were over in, in 20 seconds. My races were over in 20 seconds. I did the, the 100 and the 200, and so they were over just like that. But you had to stay in your lane. I saw guys get disqualified who crossed over into other lanes because they had no business in that lane. So again, Paul here is reminding us, each of us have a race marked out for us. Each of you have an individual race. Your neighbor, nudge them right now, nudge your neighbor. They can't run the race for you. They, they may be able to pray. They may uh, have a stronger faith in you, but they can't run your race for you. 
husbands, you can't run your race for your wife. And wives, you can't run your race for your husband. Uh, we can't run our race for our kids. We each have to be accountable and run our own race. Amen? So here's the problem, though. Um, maybe you had what I had when you were younger, this comparison trap thing that you can get caught up into. And, you know, here's the, what the, the, the Bible is so good because it reminds us we're individuals. God loves us individually, right? Amen. Where would we be without that uh, single promise? But we can get so caught up in saying, well, it looks like he loves Johnny more than he loves me. It looks like he loves Betty more than he loves me. And, and you get caught up in that. Especially when we're younger, we can get caught up in that. Even as adults, we can get caught up in that. And the Bible, this, this particular scripture wants to remind us that we need to stay in our own lane and not focus on other people. Amen? Can I get an amen? Yes. Not focus on other people. Don't ever compare yourselves to others and their race. You got to worry about yourself. You know, the, the people that do well in whatever sport, whatever it is that they do, they don't worry about anybody else. They worry about taking care of their own business. Amen? They, they take care of themselves. And sometimes I believe that we have a, a tendency that we can get off track. We have a race that we're supposed to run, but we start mixing in in the other lane, in, in, in the other lane with the other people uh, alongside of us. And we lose track of what we're supposed to be doing. Right? I want to read another scripture here to you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I believe it's up on the screen. Look, there it is. Whew. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Again, Paul is saying this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So here he's talking about physically, obviously, track runners, people that would run a race. But spiritually, the, the application here is the same. Just like the, the runners had to prepare, they had to sacrifice, they had to be disciplined. If you've ever run, you know you don't win races by not practicing. you got to train. You know that. Dan, you knew that back when you ran. You had to train. Uh, those that train right now that go out to the gym, it's a sacrifice. It's discipline. Uh, we're not going to get to our goal unless we sacrifice and discipline our bodies. It's no different spiritually. We have to be prepared. We have to train. How do we do that? By, by reading the Word of God, by praying, by attending church, by giving of your time, your talents, your treasures. Those are all the things that are required to grow, to walk and fulfill your purpose. Amen? Grace is, is God empowering you to do what you can't do on your own. Grace is God empowering you to do what you can't do on your own. Amen? Here, I, I want to share a story, a real quick story. Um, my daughter, Raquel, says she loves it when I share these stories. Because so, a lot of them they've never heard. So I was about 10 or 11 years old. I was in Little League. And I'm talking about the comparison. Um, or, uh, but here, let me share this story here. Being competitive is really what, what it's about here. Um, I was 10 or 11. I was in Little League. And I was on the, the Fire Chiefs. Remember that, Ruben? Fire Chiefs. And we had the best team in the league. And I was the pitcher. And we were undefeated. And we played the Mustangs that day. The Mustangs. And we lost 3-2. to two. I, w I was 10 years old. I still remember that. I'm not 10 years old anymore. But I still remember losing 3-2. to two 
because I was the pitcher, and uh, I, fin- I started and finished that game, and I remember walking off, and I was crying. I, I mean, 10 years old, and nobody wants to admit they're crying, right? And our coach was an ex-Marine. He was a drill instructor, and his name was, well, Coach Frank, but anyways, he would yell at us, things that they don't do nowadays. He would yell at us, and, and, and so I remember back in the day, now everybody brings a bat bag, and they have their own personal bat and everything. Back then, you had a big green duffel bag, all the bats, all the balls went in that, and so I remember being there, and after the game, my coach is, Mendez, get over there and pick all those bats up, throw them in there. And I'm crying like, well, coach, we just lost. And he, he told me, now pick that duffel bag up and go take it to my truck. So I had to pick it up. And then I remember, like, man, no mercy. And I, I'm here, I'm crying. And, and my dad's looking, and my dad's, like, agreeing with the coach, like, yeah, right on. And I remember that. But because I was so competitive, I was angry. I was crying because I was angry, not because I lost. I was angry that we lost to them. I was so competitive. And I don't know about you, but that's not a good thing to have in life. It's good up to a point. How many know what I'm talking about? It's good up to a point, but then that competitive drive will, will anger other people, and you'll find yourself with not very many friends after a while if that competitiveness continues. Amen? So, so I remember having that that competitive drive and thinking, I can't lose. And, and we ended up winning the championship, by the way. We beat them the next game, 16-day. I still remember that. We had a great game. Uh, I, I didn't pitch in that game, but we had a great game, and we whooped those guys, and we took it back. And, and uh, anyways, we, we won first place. Not because I was competitive or anything, but how many know that, that there's a healthy way to manage those things? And there's an unhealthy way to manage those things. We also can be spiritually competitive. I said that to say this. We can become spiritually competitive. We can come to church and say, well, uh, you know, I, I know I pray more than that person. Or I, I know I give more than that person. Or whatever it is. And you can compare yourself to people in the church. Maybe not here, but maybe in other churches. Pastor Rick can start saying, oh, well, um, I know I could speak better than that. Or I know him, but you know, we can all get caught up in that if we're not careful. And God does not want us to get caught up in this comparison trap. You each have your own race to run. Amen? I have my race to run. When I start comparing myself to other pastors, to be quite honest, I feel so, so unworthy and I feel like I fall so short. But, but I know I have my race to run. Just like you have your race to run, none of us should, should compare ourselves to anybody else. Amen? If you're going to p- compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus Christ, but not to one another. Amen? Let me share with you one more thing here. The death of contentment is comparison. The death of contentment is comparison. Comparing yourself to your neighbor. Well, I wish I had that house. Oh, I wish I had their marriage. Or I wish I had, you fill in the blank. The death of contentment is comparison. So quit comparing your life to somebody else. You have your life. You have your race to run. Amen? Life can become very hollow and empty real quick if all we're doing is comparing ourselves to one another. Amen? Grace, on the other hand, 
rids you of that performance, of that competitive mentality. Grace reminds you that God loves you and that God loves that person next to you. Amen? Grace empowers you to be who God wants you to be. Grace does that. Without God's grace, we're stuck in this competitive mode. We're stuck in this comparison mode. But we got to get reminded that God's grace is sufficient for each of us and that he does have a plan and a purpose for each one of you here today. Have you ever operated out of a performance mentality and then had no success? I mean, in the business world, you, you, you get this competitive drive and, and all of a sudden you don't see results. I mean, that could be draining. It, it, could, be, it could be defeating, uh, life-defeating. It could discourage you really quick. It could put you down into a spot where you don't ever want to come back out of, unfortunately. But grace, God's scandalous grace, sometimes it's unfair. And let me tell you, let me show you what I mean by that this morning. Everybody say scandalous grace. Scandalous grace. Remember how the very first time you experienced God? Uh, like, Like myself, I wasn't born into this. I came into it as an adult. And I remember the very first time experiencing this love, this forgiveness. It felt like a uh, uh, hundred pounds of weight on my shoulders physically had been removed from me. That's how I felt. I felt this newness, this freedom I had never felt before. And it was because God had forgiven me. But I, remember how that was when you each first experienced Christ for the first time in your life, if you can recall that. Well, that was a blessing that week and, and maybe that whole month and maybe for that first 30 days or so forth but just like all of us we then went back and we did something dumb we we sinned we fell short of the glory of God and then you start beating yourself up again but God's scandalous grace says I forgive you do you see how that works you know we do have to repent that we do have to say Lord I need your help I need your forgiveness And God sees the beginning and the end. He sees that you came to him, walked to him, uh, declared that you wanted a new life. And yet he he saw you fall away and do something silly. And he chooses to forgive you. That's called his grace. Amen. His grace on your outline, point number one, his grace is sufficient for us. Let me give you some definitions. But how many remember if you're... If you've got a few gray hairs, you'll remember this. But back in the, or no hair, um, uh, in the, (laughs) sorry, Martin. (laughs) In the late 80s, in the late 80s, there were scandals in the Christian world. How many remember those scandals? They were going on, and there were evangelists that every time you turned on the TV, you just hear this news and that news, and you'd be going like, what in the world is going on? You know, and I used to see that, and uh, I had just become a Christian. That was confusing me very much. Uh, I mean, I was just becoming confused, going, what are these people doing? And, and, and that was scandalous, right? The, the term scandalous, when I think of those evangelists, I think of what they did. I think of that word, scandalous, which means offensive to propriety or morality. Shocking. That's what that term means. Grace means Unmerited favor. That's the biblical definition of grace. Unmerited favor, meaning that you and I don't deserve it. Anybody here deserve grace? No. None of you, including myself, we do not deserve grace. Amen. And then when you put the two together, scandalous grace, 
Do we have that next one? There we go. An offensive or shocking display of unmerited divine assistance for our salvation. I love it when we put them together like that. Because that's really what God's grace is. So again, you came, you received the Lord, you said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You've confessed, you've repented. God's made you a new creation in Christ. And all of a sudden you're going on your merry way and you do something silly. You fall, you commit another sin. Guess what? You're not perfect. Just like me, you're not perfect. And, and, and so what does that mean? You pick yourself up, you say, Lord, forgive me. I need your help. I can't do this life on my own. And God's scandalous grace gives you an offensive or shocking display of unmerited divine assistance for our salvation. He picks you up no matter what you've done, no matter what you did, no matter where you've gone, no matter where you've been. He forgives you. And, and I think too, too often in, in the church world, we judge people and we say, oh, well, that person can't be forgiven. Who are we to ever say that? Amen. Who are we to judge people like that? We should never, ever be the judge. There's only one judge. Amen. Amen. God's scandalous grace is sufficient for you and I. I don't care what you've done here today. I don't care where you've been today. All it takes is for you to come to the altar of repentance to say, Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive me. And he wipes it clean. If I had a whiteboard here, a blackboard back in the day, for those of you that, that are as old as me, we'd wipe it clean, right? And we wouldn't see anything on there. That's what God does with our sins. And then he gets those sins and throws them in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you again. It's your enemy that brings them up though, right? The enemy, Satan, was always throwing, who do you think you are? I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I saw you the other day. I saw you here. I saw you there. And God wants to remind you, his scandalous grace will forgive you and give you unmerited divine assistance to continue to walk in salvation. Amen. Aren't you thankful for his scandalous grace? Are you thankful today? Are you really thankful? Because we would not be here today if not for his grace. Amen. God gives us grace, point number two, but we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. There's not a one of you here that can say, well, Pastor Rick, I'm a really a good person. I'm a real good person. You know, I, uh, another quick story, and I've shared this with you. We had some old neighbors of ours when I lived in, um, in, uh, in Yachtville one time, years and years ago. And um, there was this family that was the, we called them the all-American family. It was just a beautiful family. They did everything together. They went, they played tennis together because there were some tennis courts close by the house and, and they'd walk and, and there was a family of about four or five and they'd go bike riding together. And I mean, it was just a beautiful family from top to bottom and they did everything together. And all of a sudden one day, they're no longer there. And we found out that that family, that the father had been molesting one of his children and the mother found out and destroyed the whole family. But from an outside appearance, it appeared to be a perfect family. See, we don't know what's going on, but God knows. Amen? Not only does God know and see, but he sees our thoughts as well. He sees our thoughts. Amen? God gives us grace that we don't deserve. You didn't deserve forgiveness and salvation this morning. None of us did. You, you can't earn it. There's not enough prayers to be said to earn his grace. There's not enough, 
visits to church to make you feel that you've earned it. How many know that? When I was young, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't know God. I didn't walk with God. Um, the people I hung out with didn't serve God. But by God's grace, here I am today. Did I ever think I'd be a pastor? No. That'd be the last thing on my mind when I was in my 20s that I would ever be speaking here to a church, have my own church. But God saves us. And I want to quickly here talk to you about a few people in the Bible in the lineage of Jesus Christ in the lineage of Jesus Christ that were used by God to bring about Jesus. These were, were, were uh, prior to Jesus, but in his uh, genealogy. And I want to read from Matthew. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 1. How many have ever read those genealogies, like in the book of Leviticus, where Dan begat uh, Nigel, and Nigel begat, you know, so-and-so? You know, I just, to be honest with you, I skipped through those. I don't have time to read all of them. Although I, I like to read some of the names. Some of them are really cool, interesting names. But there's chapter after chapter of stuff like that. And by the end of it, you're, you're in a daze going, who begat who? Where, where, where did I start? Sometimes I just skip through that, to be honest with you. But here in Matthew chapter 1, I want to quickly read six, seven verses, six verses. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, okay? Six verses. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Now listen to these names as I'm reading them. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, otherwise known as Bathsheba. So I want to talk to you about a few individuals. Tamar, Rahab. Ruth and Bathsheba. If you know anything about the Bible, these weren't your upstanding citizens. These weren't the people that were on the city council or county supervisors, um, you know, chief of staff at the hospital that you would, you know, elect to be a representative of your community. These were people that had issues, just like you and I. We have issues. Here God uses these people. They're in the lineage of the Messiah, I want you to think about that for a second, because if you've ever been told you're never going to amount to anything, you know your family's been this, it's been that. With God, all things are possible, amen? God can use anybody, amen? God can use anybody, amen? So again, I want to I begin with Tamar. Tamar, the, in the book of Genesis chapter 38, it tells us a story that she was... She was married to uh, Judah, two of Judah's sons. Judah was her father-in-law, and her first husband died. And the custom back then was if your husband died, you were to marry the brother. So the, Tamar married the brother, and she was childless. She wanted a child, and she, the son ended up dying because the Bible says that Judah's two sons were evil, and God ended up... Uh, disposing of them is what the Bible says. They were wicked and they died. And so here she was, 
childless and thinking, I've had two husbands, I'm never going to have a child. So then she takes matters into her, her own hands. We know that when we take matters into our own hands, it does not turn out the right way. How many know that? And and so what does she do? If you've read the story, she went and dressed up as a... uh, Because back then when you're a widow, there was a certain garment you were supposed to wear. People knew, okay, here comes a widow. Just like they knew there was, here comes a leper. You know, they would shout unclean. A widow would be wearing a certain garment. And here, this particular day, she had heard that her father-in-law had gone into town... And so she followed him and put on an outfit like a prostitute. And then she covered her face with a veil. And um, Judah came out, saw her outside the city gate, and he slept with her. And then he, he said, um, in payment, I'm going to give you, what, what would you like? And she said, how about a, a goat? And so he gave her a goat. And then, and then she said, well, I need something else beside a goat. And so he gave her, he, he asked, or she asked him for a, his staff and, and a, a scarlet uh, a scarf that he had, two items that he had. And, and so he gave them to her. And so then um, the story goes that he went on his way and he had no idea this was his daughter-in-law. And she became pregnant with child and then the baby was born and then they were calling her to stone her because here she was a widow out of wedlock with a baby, and the Old Testament times were they were to stone you. And so when they brought her, and Judah was there condemning her, he said, or she brought out the two items that he had given her and said, the man who is the father gave me these two items. Bam! Talk about reality. Wow, and he spared her. He spared her life. But do you see what I'm saying here? This person was in the lineage of Jesus. It's his grace, amen? It's his scandalous grace that sees us through. Tamar was just an example. Scandalous grace turns everything around. The second person, and maybe you've heard of this one, Rahab. How many have heard of Rahab? Rahab in the Old Testament. Do you remember that there were spies sent from the Israelites to check on the promised land. They had come up to the promised land. And, and Moses had sent, had sent spies to check on the land. And um, they, they, two spies came into the land. And Rahab lived right at the entrance at the wall. At the, at the border basically of the city. Fortified city. And somehow they made contact with Rahab. And she was a prostitute. But what she did was she hid the Hebrew spies. She hid them in her home. And she told them what the weaknesses were in the city, when to attack, and so forth. Because she had heard about the God of the Hebrews. See, the God of the Hebrews had been making his point all along. They had known that he had sent plagues to the Egyptians. All these communities, all these people had heard about the great God of the Hebrews. And so had she. She was no different. So she ends up telling him, hey, look, um, you guys, I'll hide you in my house right now because they're looking for you. And uh, when you leave, I'll tell you when to leave, first of all, and I'll tell you what time. And so she, she found out where the guards were, and then she told him, okay, you guys got to leave. But when you come back, I'm going to leave a, a scarlet um, a piece of yarn, basically, hanging a cord from my window. And when you see that, it's time to march in. So when she hung that upon their return, 
they came, marched in, and took over the city, took over the promised land there. Amen? And so here, not only is Rahab a great friend of the Hebrews, but she's also mentioned in the Hall of Faith. In the preceding chapter that we read of Hebrews chapter 12, if you read the Hall of Fame chapter, chapter 11, she's mentioned in there with Abraham, with all these great greats of faith, Rahab is mentioned in there. That, that doesn't blow your mind? Oh, man. It's like uh, God will take anybody, any circumstance, and use it for his glory. Amen? Amen? He used Rahab here. Rahab ended up having eight prophets in her lineage, including Jeremiah. So it doesn't matter where you came from, what side of the tracks you're from, who and what people have said about you, God will do what he wants to do when you stay in your lane, right? When you stay in your lane. Continue to walk, continue to do what he's called you to do. Let's, let's talk about Ruth. Genesis chapter 19. Ruth was a woman of Moab, the city of Moab, who was an outcast because of her family history of incest. This is what was going on in her family. And here she ends up becoming the great-great-grandmother of King David. This, this woman that you would have thought, well, God could never use that person. So the next time you go around thinking, well, God could never use me, I want you to wipe that thought from your mind in the name of Jesus and send it back to the pit of hell where it came from and say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Amen. I can do all things. God has given each of you a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's up to you to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Run your race. Run your race. Don't run somebody else's race. Don't compare yourself and say, well, you know, I came from a poor migrant family and I can't do this. You know, I'm an, educate, I'm an uneducated man and I can't do this. And, uh, you know, I'm a minority or I'm, you know, whatever your excuse. Don't, don't keep, God don't have time for that. Amen. God doesn't have time for that. What, what you need to do is what we sang this morning. Cast your cares on God because he loves you. Continue to trust him. Continue to walk in that lane that he gave you. Only you can fulfill that purpose he's given you. Amen? Amen. God wants to use you. Ruth was an outcast back then. Maybe you've felt that way as an outcast. Maybe you're here today feeling that you don't fit in. That you've never fit in. God wants to remind you, as I mentioned earlier, he wanted to remind somebody that he loves you today. Because you've possibly been feeling like an outcast. You're not an outcast. God has included you in his family. Amen? You are part of God's family today. And then the final person I want to mention is Bathsheba. Notice how that scripture we read, and I want to turn again there to uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 1. I want to read verse 6 again. And notice how it words it here. It says, And Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Doesn't even mention her name. But her name is Bathsheba. And we know the story of, of Bathsheba. David, King David, one of the greatest, mightiest warriors of all time. He was up on his rooftop as the king would be. He was, or he was up in his palace, up high above everybody else. And as he peer, peered out his window... He saw this beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. And of course, he kept looking. And he, uh, here's the thing about sin. It, it wasn't a sin that he saw her. 
The sin was that he began to entertain that thought. He began to entertain that, that image. And the next thing you know, he calls for her to come to his room. So she was the wife of Uriah, one of his great warriors, valiant warriors, one of King David's warriors, one of his best friends. And here he calls them, uh, calls Bathsheba, come to my room. Well, he sweet talks her. She's a lonely woman. Her husband's out to war. And the next thing you know, they sleep together. And she gets pregnant. And now he finds out, oh, man, she's pregnant. Her husband's at war. What am I going to do? So he calls for Uriah. He calls for him to come to home, to, to be with his wife. He's thinking, well, if I can get her back, and if I can have him sleep with her, and then he'll end up thinking that that's his child. Do you see how twisted we, we tend to do things, how we deceive our own selves? Everybody say again, scandalous grace with me. Isn't this good? This is the Bible right here. God uses these individuals just like he uses you and I. So the story goes on, as you know. He calls Uriah, and Uriah, because he's a valiant man, a man sold out to his troops, to the cause will not sleep with his wife. He will not even be in the room with her. In fact, the Bible says he stays right at King David's uh, room, right outside. He stays there. He says, my men are out in battle. I cannot be enjoying my wife and my family. I will stay right here at my post. And, and David's perplexed. He doesn't know what to do. So then he sends and, and he creates a letter and he gives it to Uriah and he says, I want you to give this to the leader once you get out to the, to the front line, get out there and, and give this to him. The letter said to put Uriah out on the front lines and that the troops were to stand back. In other words, he was having him killed, executed. Traitor, traitor. So, so do you see how deception is going on here? God is using Bathsheba, who committed a sin of adultery. God is using King David, who basically became a murderer at that point. God used both of them to produce Solomon, the greatest man of wisdom that the world has ever known. Wow, that's God's scandalous grace. And you say God can't use you? Why not? Why not? God's grace is sufficient for you and me. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? God's grace is sufficient. God wants to take what looks unredeemable and redeem it for His glory. I don't know if you look at the, the stories of the Bible like that, like I do, but when you look at them and begin to realize, man, if God can use that, if God can use a donkey, why can't he use me? Amen? God will take someone who keeps on sinning and redeem them so that they can help others. Have you noticed that? Have you, have you figured that out yet, that sometimes God has allowed you to go through certain things so that you can speak into the life of someone else who's going through that same situation? You're not going through something for no reason. You're going through it so that you can speak life into somebody else. God is with you when you're going through something. Amen? God is taking that testing time and going to turn that into a testimony. Amen? He doesn't leave you hanging. He never leaves you by yourself. He will never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says. You may be here today thinking you don't need Jesus, that you're fine, that you don't need him to that level, that you're good, that you come from a good family, and you don't have anybody like that in your lineage. Well, I want to remind you today 
that we all need Jesus, every single one of us, because there is none here good enough. There is none here righteous enough. Pastor Rick is not righteous enough. Pastor Rick is not good enough. I need Jesus in my life every single day, and so do you. Amen? You don't have to raise your hand, but let me just ask you this question. I already know the answer, though. How many sinned this week? <laughs> yeah, you, some are, hands are going up. And, and, and really, if I had asked you, raise your hand if you sinned this week. All of your hands should have gone up. And if not, you just sinned because you're a liar now. <laughs> All of you have sinned, including Pastor Rick. And, and that doesn't mean we went out and murdered somebody or, or stole from somebody. But just the simplest things. There's the sin of omission sometimes. Maybe you saw that homeless person and, and God, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go buy that person a Happy Meal or buy them a, a meal. And you didn't do that because you saw five of them within five minutes. And you said, oh, they're all, they're all out here. That's a sin. If God impressed something on you, do it. Maybe it was an attitude with your spouse. Maybe it was an attitude with your, with your, with your siblings. Maybe it was an attitude with your son or daughter. Amen. Maybe it was a thought you had. Here's where it gets so crazy. We worry about what God sees. Don't worry about what God sees. God sees what you think. That should cause all of us to go, Lord, forgive me every day. And I know, you know, what I'm learning is that some of us have a hard time understanding that we need to repent every day. We really need to repent every day. I don't care how good you are. You could be in church all day. You're, you're still going to need to repent today. I, I promise you. Because there will be thoughts you have. I don't know. Have you been, like, have you been on Highway 29 during rush hour traffic? Have you, have you been cut off in traffic? You know I always bring this up. But have you been cut off in traffic and all of a sudden want to just jump right in front of that person and cut them off and do something from your past and say hi to them? With never mind, but you know what I mean. You thought it. You maybe you didn't do that, but you thought it. That's a sin. So, do we need to repent every day? Yes. Every one of us need to get get on our knees and repent every single day. And God's scandalous grace is good enough for us. Amen. <coughs> None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. Sometimes we get too caught up in the things we've done. That may not be pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we, we, we can begin to think, even, even during the middle of this sermon right now, you may be thinking, oh God, I'm, I'm not good enough. Maybe the lie of the devil right now is attacking you. Is, is, the devil is implanting a thought in your mind right now. Maybe you're thinking of something completely outside of this sermon right now. That's a sin. I, it happens, people. It happens. I, I'll have the craziest thoughts sometimes. At work, not generally when I'm speaking, I'm focused right here. But you know what I mean. We we are all as human beings. We'll have crazy thoughts sometimes. Like where did that come from? And 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 you say, Lord, forgive me for that. I know because I'm human, just like you are. But we've we've all sinned after salvation. God wants to encourage us to repent. I think we've we've forgotten almost how to repent. We have forgotten and gotten away that uh, God's grace is good and sufficient and I don't need to tell him, Lord, forgive me for my sins. No, you still need to do that. He's forgiven you for your past. 
once you came to him, he forgave you for all the past, but he still wants to forgive you for every day, every day. Because I'll tell you what happens when you, when you ask God for forgiveness, that fellowship draws you closer to him. How many want to draw closer to God? That's the key right there is repentance. It's confession. It's confessing to one another. If you don't believe me, get an argument with your wife or your, or your husband and then confess to one another and see if that closeness doesn't come back. Amen? It does. It does. Now, don't go get in an argument just because I said that. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes we, we tend to think that uh, it's only what he sees. And again, it's not just what he sees. Don't, don't get caught up in thinking uh, that he only sees the actions. He sees the thoughts. I can't emphasize that enough. The thoughts, the thoughts right there are a sin already. We can murder in our mind. And I know going back to Highway 29 traffic or wherever, sometimes we have to say, Lord, forgive me for murdering that person right now. Lord, forgive me for stealing from that person. Forgive me for saying something. You may not have said it out loud vocally, but you thought it. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen? This morning as I close, I want to talk to you about the greatest of the apostles. Who knows who the greatest of the apostles was? It was Paul. Paul was the greatest of the apostles. Do you know he is given credit for writing two-thirds of the New Testament? So of the 27 books in the New Testament, he wrote two-thirds of them, uh, which is just amazing. Paul said that uh, what he wanted to do was right. He wanted to do what was right, but he still did what was wrong. How many remember that in Romans chapter 7? He would fight this battle Every day he said, I long to do the things that are right, but, but I still keep doing the things that are wrong. And that explains our imperfection, our humanity. All of us here, his desire was in the right place. His heart was in the right place. And let me tell you, your heart should be in the right place. You should desire to do the right thing. But sometimes we listen to that voice of the enemy. We get discouraged by by those that were hanging around that we shouldn't be hanging around. Amen? And, and the, the problem with that, here Paul mentioned a law. There's a law that works in him. You know what that law was? It's sin. Sin, there's a law in sin. Um, and, and this is the sin deep within us. That's why I keep referring to the importance of daily repentance. We as believers, sin should be dead. We are no longer captives, as I mentioned last week. We're no longer captives to sin. But how many know if you let go of your defense, those, those uh, sins can easily come back. The Bible says it can dominate our ways, our thinking. It, it's very easy to backslide. Let me tell you, it's very easy to backslide as a, as a believer. You take your eyes off of Christ and begin to put them on man. And you can walk away from God. You can turn around and walk away from the things of God. Because of the law of sin that works in this world. Amen. When we look to God and trust him, grace can keep you from the law of sin and death. Only grace can keep you from the law of sin and death. Not your good works. Not how many times you come to church. Not how many prayers you say. Back when I was a kid, and uh, it wasn't how many our fathers prayers I said. That doesn't save me. doesn't matter how many times I shook 
the priest's hand or the pastor's hand. That's not going to save me. None of that will save me. His grace is what saves me. Amen? Amen? Here's the great news about grace, about his scandalous grace. It takes you from being an outsider and now makes you an insider. It makes you feel a part of a family for the very first time possibly. How many feel like part of a family now that they attend here at Foothill Christian? Amen. That should be every one of you. Amen. Amen. Give God thanks for that. See, here's, here's what happens. Grace takes you from being an outsider and, and, and makes you an insider. Grace takes you and pulls you out. We were all on death row. We were all on death row, ready to face our judgment. There's a great video I was going to play. I think I've played it here before, where they're all standing in line. It's called the Good-O-Meter. And they're all standing in line right at the judgment. And there's a man that opens up. They're dressed in white. And they open up a file. And it has everything about our past in there. And then he has a step on a scale. And then the meter goes, good, bad, and then bad. So everybody's getting on there. And then he's having everybody step on the scale. And then finally, this gentleman comes up and he presents them the folder. And, and it's filled with all these red pages, bad, bad pages. And he goes, oh, you've been a pretty busy man, haven't you? And, and then he goes, okay, now step on the scale. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks in and it's Jesus. He says, hold up, I got this. And Jesus steps on that scale. And all of a sudden, that arrow goes, good. Because you see, it's God's grace that grants us entrance into heaven. It's God's grace. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. It doesn't matter what you did today even. God is saying, I love you. You're my child. I forgive you. All he wants is for you to have a humble heart of forgiveness towards him. Amen? Amen. And, and so here's, here's these great characters we just mentioned in the Bible, all used by God. Were they perfect? Not by any stretch. But God used every one of them. Who are we to say that God cannot use us? Amen? So this morning, again, I want you to, to thank the Lord for this gift as we close this morning. I want you to thank Him for this great, scandalous grace. Because none of us would be here today without it. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning, Father, for your wonderful grace, for your mercy. We thank you, God, that... We don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor that you bestow upon us. And Lord, where would we be without it? Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you take care of me, that you take care of everyone here. Father, we, we praise you and thank you that we can have an altar of repentance, not only here, but at home. Lord, that we can give you all those things, all those thoughts, all those actions that were not pleasing to you, that we can just say, Lord, I don't want these... I, I pray, forgive me right now. I confess, Lord, I fall short of your glory. That, Lord, that you need to take these things from me. And, Lord, wash me in your blood. Wash me in your forgiving power. And, Lord, let your grace be upon me today. For your grace is sufficient for me. So, Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your precious love. Thank you for your precious grace this morning. Have your way, Lord, in the rest of this service as we close right now with a song. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.